Welcome to the Military Child Education Coalition podcast, the show that highlights a wide range of challenges and triumphs that our military-connected kids experience. My name is Nikki Harrison, and I'll be your host today. We would like to say thank you for the support of BAE Systems for this episode. Joining me today is Dr. Emily Goodman-Scott, and thank you so much for being here with me. Could you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Thank you, Nikki. I am so excited to be here to tell you about myself. First, this feels so full circle to be here. I grew up as a military-connected child, born on a in a Navy hospital in San Diego, California. My first school was an elementary school in Puerto Rico as a kindergartner. And so I had many moves. So starting off military connected and became, I followed in my mother's footsteps to be in education. She was a classroom teacher. I was a special education teacher, practicing school counselor. And now I'm 10 years in as a faculty member, a professor, associate professor at Old Dominion University in Virginia. And I get to train the next generation of school counselors, licensed professional counselors, school counseling researchers, mental health researchers. And I'm also so happy to be part of a collective called School Counselors for MTSS. And I wear some other hats in there. I've been able to be involved in our national and state counseling and school counseling associations as well. So in a nutshell, I'm also the mom of three wonderful children and glad to be here. I love that you said you wear multiple hats. I wear multiple hats as well. So you're one of the founding members of School Counselors for MTSS. Could you tell us a little bit about your organization? Absolutely. Presently as a researcher, what's important to me is to always stay plugged in to the folks who are currently in the schools, K through 12, educators, school counselors, administrators, families, students, etc. So a million years ago, I was able to be an elementary school counselor for several years, and I loved it. And this is really when MTSS, we were calling it PBIS at that time, was really like rolling itself out. And I was in a Northern Virginia school district, so we were rolling it out. And I remember very clearly thinking, huh, here we are talking about all the benefits of multi-tiered systems. However, we're not talking about school counseling within this. And school counselors have very similar and overlapping goals as implementing multi-tiered systems. So as a practitioner, I thought, how do we ensure that school counselors are part of this conversation because we have the same goals and we want to work in collaboration? So back then, I started thinking as a practitioner how to really align or integrate these two existing frameworks, running a comprehensive school counseling program and implementing the framework of MTSS. So I started, the wheel started turning um, as a practitioner, and then I became a faculty member, got my doctorate from Virginia Tech and started as a faculty and i looked for research on this looked at our national conferences there was nothing at that time so i happened to meet two other brand new faculty dr jennifer betters bubon out of wisconsin and dr peg donahue out of connecticut and it was really happenstance that we happened to meet and they were brand new also having similar thoughts they had been school counselors and said where is this alignment work with school counseling so we all three had this great phone call. It was almost like blind dating for researchers, right? <laughs> We're like, hi, I'm Emily. Do you want to be my research spread? And so here we are, like almost a decade later, we've written two books, a ton of research. And I think what's most meaningful is the culture and climate, which I believe 
we've contributed to and, and done a good bit of leading towards is we've been able to ensure that this language and this philosophy of multi-tier systems prevention for all specific intervention for those who have more specific needs the school counselors are a part of that they're doing the work my first time presenting on this with my colleagues several years ago at an at american school counselor association conference we had 20 people at the session no one knew what this was and then fast forward almost a decade we're having three four hundred folks in our sessions we're speaking all over the country and we've now grown including dr jake olson and a host of other people from all over we have eight of us that are these research partners and we're doing this work in partnership with school districts and organizations and it's been such a joy because i go out and do trainings and folks say this makes sense this helps me advocate so i can do my job and serve kids and so it's been really an amazing journey and to see the last 10 years how our school counseling field has shifted to incorporate this framework. As someone who is a researcher by nature, I love the fact that it sounds like it all started with re incredible research. And I really like that. And I like how MTSS approaches like the holistic yeah. view of looking at the child as a whole. And I think that's really important. I think it's, and I think it's particularly important for our military connected students. So. How critical of a role do school counselors play in prevention and intervention practices to address student mental health concerns, such as school culture and climate? This is like our bread and butter. This is exactly what we do. So school counselors serve students' needs, academic, career, social, emotional, and that, that post-secondary transition. So all these pieces we do with school counselors, and that begins with prevention so that we have a culture and climate at schools that are welcoming to all students, not only welcoming, but affirming and celebratory. So what we're striving for is that every student and family and staff member feels safe and affirmed and encouraged and schools are a place where they can thrive and celebrate their cultures and their ways of learning, their ways of being in the world. So this is very much what we do at a tier one level prevention across the entire school. And then we use data to determine what are areas that some students may need more supports, and we can pull them for small groups and individual counseling. And importantly, as we were talking about at this conference today, collaboration, we're on teams. So it's not just us waving the flag of mental health and SEL and whole child, but we're part of this, the fabric of the school and the entire school is speaking this language of prevention, positive, healthy, affirming school climate, et cetera. I like how you said there's a lot of collaboration that happens and working with others. And I feel, I know everybody's, oh, why do we keep talking about the pandemic? But I feel like the pandemic brought about this emphasis on social emotional learning, especially with our children. And it, I feel like it brought it to the forefront, right? Where it highlighted that this is really important. We need to address this as educators, as professionals. And so I, I love that here at the conference that there's that collaboration amongst a whole bunch of different individuals working with students. So I think that's really important. It is. And if I can share, I just wrapped up a study that was just accepted for publication in professional school counseling, our flagship journal, and did it with a wonderful previous school counselor, doc student, Betsy Perez. We interviewed school counselors and we said, tell me about your experience during the pandemic. 
And it was very open-ended qualitative study. And what we ended up finding is the trauma that they went through was considerable, not only having experienced the, the pandemic as a person, but also as someone that's a helping professional. It's almost like they were going through the pandemic like doubly impacted. But what I also learned from them that's so helpful for me is they talked about post-traumatic growth. And they didn't use that term, but they said the pandemic was horrific for all these reasons, the trauma, the grief, the loss. And they said there are some ways that now that we've come back, we're like building different systems. So this very much speaks to MTSS, right? Looking at schools through a systems lens. But they said because of the pandemic, we now look at mental health and social emotional learning and the whole child in ways we didn't before. We have more funding. My administrators are giving me more time to do this work. And it's really brought mental health into the forefront. I feel like I'm in my neighborhood or I'm in the pool with my kids and I'm hearing all types of people like, oh, we went to counseling today or my kid's doing counseling. I mean, we're talking about this in normal ways, the way someone would say, I go to the pediatrician. They're now like, yep, counseling. We just had your counseling appointment, working on anxiety for my seven-year-old. So it's normalizing something. So I think that was a silver lining that I heard from my participants in this study is this growth in good and positive ways, despite this horrific tragedy we've been through globally. Some positives, right? Absolutely. And I do think it normalized going and seeing, seeking counseling and medical professionals and making it much more acceptable and not as taboo, yeah. especially for our children. We talk about counseling in regards to adults, but sometimes it's like when we talk about counseling in regards to our children, it makes it different. Right. And I do think it was really important that the pandemic helped bring that to light and say that it's okay. And I think that was really important to someone who had a teen going through the pandemic. It was definitely something that I know that I said, listen, if you need to talk to somebody, if you don't feel like you can talk to me or your dad, talk to, extra support. Yeah, talk to somebody and we'll find the somebody that you need to talk to. So when school professionals are working with at-risk military connected students, that's our population, they are so highly mobile, and they are actively experiencing a cycle of deployment or relocation, transition, how do we expedite mental or behavioral health resources and referrals? I'm so glad you mentioned that because we talked about the mental health crisis of our youth. And for our military-connected students, we have extra layers. They have extra layers, as you just mentioned, right? The stress of deployment, of moving. If the parent in the military has may also be struggling with mental health, PTSD, et cetera. So we see that the family system and the child is very common to have, whether it's adjustment or mental health concerns or even disorders that can be exacerbated by this. But I think what's really important is when we talk about multi-tiered systems, that we are very purposeful with outlining here are resources in the school, here are resources out of the school, and having, again, that system. So that's something we recommend educators do at the beginning of the school year is to almost develop like a resource bank and say, all right, here are all the people that we have in our community within the school and outside of the school and almost do an audit. Do you have a list of licensed social workers? Or are you missing some? There aren't a lot. Or what about someone that can provide resources for academic supports? 
or we know there's a really long wait list at the local community services board for counseling. So what are other avenues? Or maybe we need to write a grant, or maybe we can pull our, our heads together and think, what else can we do? Because we, we're really strong with this mental health support, but we don't have this other one. So I think it's nice to do an audit and to just really keep evaluating and building those systems of support with other providers. So we have a resource bank for when things come up because we know they're going to come up, right? Yes, absolutely. And I think access to care, that's critical. And when you don't have that access, it becomes very challenging to address all of the needs that you may have. So I like that even though I think we, most of us think of, oh, school, my kids go to school and it's academic in nature. They're going to class, they're doing their tests and their assignments. And it's nice to know that a school can also support in other ways that aren't necessarily always focused on academics. And so I I think that's great for our listeners to know because I don't think you always think about that, especially. Yes, yes, yes. And if a child is struggling with adjustment or mental health or social emotional learning and they're worried about something, they're not going to be able to come in and focus on that math lesson. So we really do look at the whole child. And I think that's something that we all want all of our children to be healthy so they can grow up and, and be contributing members of society. And when you were talking about that, I was thinking about what what would you say? I always think as a parent, I look at teachers, administrators, and staff, and they're tasked with so many things, right? There's I'm always shocked at the number of students. I think my son's English teacher last year had 200 students that she was teaching. And I feel like, gosh, being asked to do one more thing is really challenging. So it sounds like a team is really important. Working together as a team with everyone working together, I think is really important. So I guess I was just thinking, gosh, they're all asking so many. Yes. Crucial. Yeah. yeah. Um, If we're all doing the same thing, because in education, we can get so siloed. Like I'm the math teacher. I'm right here. I'm the art teacher. I'm the administrator. And we all get in our silos. And we may notice like a little concern here and there. But if we're not all getting together, things fall through the cracks. And that's why we see benefits of things like universal mental health screening, um, having a team that's going to look at, all right, who are students we're concerned about? What is the data showing us? And how can we talk? So if we're noticing a little thing here and there, you add it all together and that student may need support. Like what else is going on for them? So it helps. And it also means we're not having to do it by ourselves. Like that school principal isn't by themselves. That art teacher is not alone. The school counselor is not alone. We can share the load. And that frees us up because our ratios are high, our needs are high. So we collaborate, carrying that load. What is that saying about many arms make light work? Or how does that? I think here's something. I was thinking it takes a village. What I was thinking was really through my head. So it does take a village. So you mentioned something about the universal mental health screening. Why do you think universal mental health screening is important for students in schools? And why is it even more important for our military students? Yes. So what we know about screening is, so let's say I'm a classroom teacher and there is a child throwing a desk across the class and there's another child who is thinking about suicide quietly at their desk to themselves, which is the one you're going to notice and treat the fastest? 
I would say the one probably exhibiting the physical right. behavior of throwing the desk. Because you right? have 25 or 30 students, the one throwing the desk, yeah, you're going to, all right, we need to work with you. The one who is thinking to themselves, like you may not notice that they're withdrawn. They may not be exhibiting concrete factors, right? What is great about screening is we know that we are really good in schools about observing and working with students that have externalizing behaviors, aggression, et cetera, that are outward. However, students that are depressed, anxious, thinking about suicide, self-injury, those are usually ones that can fly under the radar very easily. And those are the ones that can turn into significant concerns, especially over time. What screening does really well is we screen every student, just like we do for reading or vision or hearing. Every student, like my, I have a child that has um, hearing loss. And we didn't realize until she a universal screener was done at preschool that the speech and language students came in and gave hearing tests to all the kids. And granted, my daughter's had hearing tests at the pediatrician's office that everyone has. But once we realized that this typical screener, that she had hearing, we realized like there was this need that we had no idea for five years was there. And then we're able to put something in place. And I'm so grateful because if we didn't, all of a sudden she would have been like third or fourth grade we would have seen her academics were falling and we didn't know why. That's what typically happens. It's the same with mental health. If we're able to preventatively get ahead and if we do a screener, we screen all students for maybe areas they're resilient in or strengths and difficulties. And some of these anxiety, depression, if we're screening, we're going to say, all right, here are kids based on the screener that are doing pretty well. And also how they're being screened. It's not just like willy-nilly, like making up some questions. But these are like validated instruments that researchers that that have specialty area in creating instruments have done and tested these over many years, right? So we know that they're good instruments. So folks are, students are taking these instruments. And usually every time we talk about this, I've done research and work on this for years, is the biggest piece out of this is educators say, wow, we had these seven or eight students in this grade level that are being flagged for depression. And we had no idea. They are, they have friends. They're achieving well. We would have no idea. And because that we know, we can put supports in place. So it's not a full-blown crisis. They haven't attempted suicide. They haven't attempted a large act of violence in schools. We've been able to support them before maybe they're experimenting with substance use in order to cope with the anxiety. So we're able to really get in front of these potentially. And granted, nothing's 100%. But we're able to identify students that otherwise were not identified and provide them with support. So it's basic prevention. And I think it's just so helpful in this conversation on mental health. We talk about military-connected students. I remember as a school counselor, there was a family and the son was in fifth grade. And mom came in and she said, we have moved every year as a military family. And because of that, I know my fifth grader has some different needs, but we have never been anywhere long enough to get a diagnosis and get testing. And so she says, I'm so grateful that we're here long enough. This is the first place we're going to actually get the testing that he needs. So he went through testing. And I remember he was such like a delight. His family was such a delight. I remember I was in the hallway and he was running down the hall yelling, Miss Scott, I have autism. I have autism. And just the relief that his family felt like we have a diagnosis. We have been aspiring for this for years. And now we know what to do to best meet his needs. And it was such a relief for our military students. When you travel so much, 
you think about mental health concerns or typical adjustment or any of these pieces, if you're moving around, it can be hard to identify and then have time to get support someplace and have that community that's going to be able to understand needs. So I think it's just universal screening can help expedite some of those things, especially if it's done for everyone in the school. You don't have to wait a year and a half to get in because right now our wait list for counseling, for evaluation, Mm -hmm. six months to a year, a year and a half even. So if we're doing this in schools, it expedites that identification, which is crucial if you're having families that are moving so quickly. There are a lot of children that mask certain behaviors or they're able to hide some of those deficiencies. And then, of course, they get to a point where they can't do it anymore, right? Because either the content has become too challenging or they've moved and and maybe it's a new curriculum, whatever it may be. And so I think about how universal health screening could identify some needs of children who tend to mask those. Yes. And the best practices in screening, like mental health screening, is we're not doing that alone. What we're doing, there is a really great study that was done. It was a case study that came out maybe 10 years ago in professional school counseling, Erickson and Abel, and they talked about this depression screener that they did. And they had 10 years maybe worth of data from this one, I think it was a high school. And so what they did is not only do they do a screener, but they said the school counselor or the psychologist, they came into health class because in health class, they were required for a couple different grades in this high school to talk about what is mental health, what is depression. So they said, all right, in addition to the health teacher, we're going to have mental health providers come in and really do some lessons on this is what it is. Here are signs for yourself, signs for your friends. And once you've normalized and discussed it, now we're also going to do a screener. What they found is over this 10-year period, their rates of suicide decreased. They felt a sense of more normalized mental health concerns, more incidences of students saying, hey, I'm really worried about my friend. I'm really worried about myself. We talked about signs to look for, and I meet those signs. My friend meets those signs. And so their culture changed over 10 years. I think screening is good, but what's, I think, bigger than that is it's done within the context of let's talk about mental health, let's raise your awareness, let's raise the awareness of the adults, and let's remove some of the stigma. Just like we're talking in in health class about keeping your body safe and healthy, how are we keeping our mental health safe and healthy as well? I think that's great. Education helps self-identify as well, right? Our our ability to self-identify when something's not quite right. Recently, I read that there's some research being done to incorporate anti-racism strategies into MTSS. Why is this important and what are some of the benefits? Absolutely. Such a great question. So anti-racism has been around for a long time, right? That in and of itself is not new. Racism has been around a long time. That is also not new with the racial reckoning and the racial justice movement that has become more mainstream. Again, there has been fight with civil rights and racial equity for decades, plus some, right? This has been present, but I think it's become a lot more mainstream in recent years. And so with that, we um, are hearing more about anti-racism and again, in a more mainstream way within K-12 education, which includes school counseling. So when we talk about multi-tiered systems, one of my favorite parts of it is it's a systems lens. Let's look at the school as a system. What is the culture of the system of the school, et cetera? So anti-racism is also a systems lens. Let's look who is benefiting in the system, who is being harmed, what 
systemic oppression is happening in this system. So it's also a systems lens. So integrating the two is a way to, again, look at the system. So the Ed Trust has a really nice graphic and they talk about in K through 12 Ed for years, I'm using, gonna use some air quotes here. We previously have had this mentality, we need to air quote fix students. That's been where we've been coming from. Oh, you have some failing grades. Student, that's your fault. We need to air quote fix you. So that's where we've been, where we're almost blaming students for challenges and barriers. But so we're now with this anti-racist lens, we're looking at what are problems and barriers in this system? We are not blaming the student, but we're, we're going to look at the system. The schools, communities, our greater society, what is happening? If we see students that are struggling, maybe there's a lack of access to health care. Or we look at, what is it, Flint, Michigan with the water crisis. Like that, those are systems issues. Or look, at there's a plant has closed in a community and families have lost jobs. And now the high school students are working evenings to try to supplement their family. That's a systems, that plant closure is a systems issue that is then trickling down to impacting the school and the student. All of these different pieces or what are systemic attributes and strengths as well? We're looking at all these pieces. We're looking at the system and seeing what are benefits of the system? What are strengths of the system? What are challenges and barriers? And how can we put changes in place to remove barriers, enhance resources that we're culturally affirming? Who are the cultures of our school communities? How are we bringing in important members of those cultures? Welcoming in, not only are we welcoming in families, but we're saying, families, we want to partner with you. Your voice is important. You are the first person your child learns from. You are their first advocate. You tell us about your child. What do they need? Student voice. That came up this morning, and we have been hearing that so much more in school counseling. How are we prioritizing and centering the voice of our students? Students, we're noticing this um, area. We're seeing a lot of discipline referrals here. Why do you think that's here? We're noticing a gap that these students aren't enrolling in these classes, what do you think is happening and what do you think we should do? Because I can sit around as a middle-aged white woman all day and hypothesize what I think is happening in my school, but why don't I ask my students? Because they're going to know so much more than I ever know. Right. I know what's going on. <laughs> we just have to build the trust and that it's authentically a safe space for them to share, that it's psychologically safe for their families for, for the students, for the members of the community. I could go on and on about that. <laughs> and but there's so many wonderful people. Dr. Cheryl Holcomb McCoy, she has a book about anti-racism in schools and communities for, from the counseling perspective. And that's an edited book. She did a beautiful job. We have so many amazing authors in that book. That's a great place to start. And um, I was lucky to be on a couple articles that looked at anti-racism and multi-tiered systems of support. Dr. Renee Mays, Dr. Janice Bird also have a great article um, on that as well that predated ours. So, so many great um, folks doing this important work. And then the folks in the building that are doing this work, I just presented at ASCA with Mr. John Wosu, school counselor, that talked about, here's something I just did this last year with my school counseling team to remove barriers from my students from an anti-racist lens using data. So there's so many great people. I'm gonna, I can go on and on. I can tell I'm getting excited. So I'm gonna go ahead and home. We need a part two. We need a part two is what we need. And in that part two, we are going to talk about disciplinary practices within school systems, because that's a whole separate. Oh. I have so many questions about that, but that can be our part two. So how does a school begin to implement multi-tiered systems of support? 
So there's this really nice graphic, and we have it in both of our books. Our second edition, School Counselor's Guide to MTSS, just came out last month. First version came out in 2019. We have Making MTSS Work came out in 2020, published by American School Counselor Association. In these books, we have this graphic. I believe this came from like PBIS.org that we give them credit for it, and we've modified the image. So we have, I think it's five steps to implementation. The first step is, do you have buy-in? Because we know that we need 80% buy-in for this framework to be successful. So if you don't have buy-in from your key stakeholders that have the power and the influence, and that starts with often administrators in your building and in your district, and then also, you know, the staff that have the most kind of sway or influence in your building, you need to start with them. And if you get them on board, and then you really do get to 80%. So I can remember um, a school counselor that was like, I want this in my school. And she kept going back to her leadership team and her administrators. And they were like, oh, we don't have the time. We don't think it's important. And she worked for like years. And I remember finally, three or four years in, she was like, Emily, they're finally like, all right, let's sit down. Let's parse through this. Let's see if we can make this work. And I said, good for you. Because could she have tried to implement? She could have, but... Frankly, it would have been like hashtag hot mess, right? You can't implement a school-wide framework by yourself. So buy-in and getting the supports in place is the most important thing because otherwise you're going to start it, but it's not going to get off the ground. And that may take years to get buy-in. And you may never get buy-in, but you can't do school-wide without the entire school. So at least 80%. So that's really where you start is um, getting that buy-in. And there's so much good data that shows how this is effective when it's done well, especially using a culturally affirming lens, an anti-racist lens, et cetera. I can go on and on that topic, (laughs) but it seems like multi-tiered system of support are so important and it's a team effort. It's very collaborative. It uh, takes a lot of education and training by multiple individuals, but really important for that holistic approach to the child. So what does the future look like for MTSS? Is there anything new or anything that's changing that's maybe something you're finding through your research or through maybe feedback from schools that are utilizing that? In education, we're all very tired, right? We have been working for a long time. There's a lot of needs. We're very tired. We get this initiative fatigue. Every year, it's like there's more initiatives, more things to do. And we look at MTSS as not like a program or not one more thing, but really it is the thing. So I almost envision it like it's a bookshelf and it holds all of our things within it. So if we're doing a trauma-informed lens, culturally affirming practices, or maybe not that, if we think about we want to do like an SEL curriculum, or if we want to do restorative practices or all these things, initiatives, if you will, they fit within the bookshelf. And my colleague and good friend, Dr. Peg Donnie, who made this image um, with some other folks about a bookshelf. And yes, this is a bookshelf. You put the books on. And the books are these initiatives that may come and go. And so we're the shelf. So we think about what are we doing for all students? Prevention. How are we using data to determine students that have higher needs? I think when we stay really hunkered down into this basic framework, it helps us organize what we're doing. And when we spend time in prevention, that's less time in crisis and reacting. So it's really just best practices. And it comes from the model, like public health model, which again, 
we're giving the flu shot to everyone, that means there's fewer people that are going to be hospitalized for flu and that are in crisis with the flu. So it's really just this model that we're having across society. So I think leaning into that, and that takes time. So if you've been implementing for a while, you're continuing because if you're not continuing to focus on your tier one prevention, all of a sudden you're going to find your tier two and three needs are going to increase. You have to go, you know, so how are we continually keeping it fresh? And when we do this, it helps. Colleague and friend, Dr. Peg Donahue had some good conversations with schools that had really strong MTSS implementation before the pandemic. And then when the pandemic hit, they really leaned into their existing frameworks and granted how they're offering services, virtual education and the masking and the just all this, the processes changed, but they still did prevention for all and more intensive supports for students with more needs, right? They lead to that same framework using data, et cetera. And they found that because they had the framework in place, they were able to then pivot and respond to the pandemic in a way that was easier. And so when we were coming back, I did a number of talks on we're responding to COVID, we're coming back to school now in person from the pandemic lean into your existing supports. You have classes, school-wide expectations, lean into those so you're not reinventing the wheel. I think we so often, we throw in five more initiatives, but we're just making sure that we're continuing to reinforce our existing structure. So when new things come and go and new needs come, we don't know what's going to happen five and 10 years down the road for us. This structure is just like good practice. Does that make sense? It totally does. And I love that you said MTSS is the bookshelf. <laughs> and or, yeah, yeah. Or your colleague said, like, yeah. Like culturally affirming MTSS, that it is affirming on the cultures of our communities and our students. And that's like best practice and MTSS and this collaborative approach. Yep, it is the bookshelf. It is the thing. It is the thing. It is the thing. I want to thank you so much for coming on and joining me and our listeners. And I think. MTSS is here to stay, and hopefully more and more schools implement the system and find it's really important. I just think it's a a really great um, model, so I love it. So thank you so much. Thank you. I enjoyed it. I'd like to thank Dr. Emily Goodman-Scott for her time today, as I really enjoyed our conversation here at the Global Training Summit. Thanks for listening to the MSEC podcast the official podcast of the Military Child Education Coalition. If you've enjoyed this episode, please feel free to like, share, subscribe, and give today's show a five-star rating. And don't forget to leave us a comment on topics you'd like to hear more about. We'd like to give a special thanks again to BAE Systems for supporting this episode and Consentus Media for audio mixing. I'm Nikki Harrison, and until next time... In a world where you can be anything, be kind. Be kind.